Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, my adoring minions. Hello to all of you. It is I, Patrick, and this is episode three of Scream Queens. Queens with a Z! Tonight is our Friday the 13th Spectacular! Plus, we'll find out if the final made the grade. So fasten your seatbelts, because the driver's in a K-hole. We'll be right back after this. In the darkness of a hot summer night in 1873, in the crowded tenements of Manhattan, Nicholas Ryan and his sister Mary were brutally murdered. The savage and bizarre nature of the crime was shocking even for the notorious Five Points District. The entire city held its breath in fear. The murderer was never found. Living Theatre presents The Lower East Side Murder Mystery, The Ryan Case, based on an actual, historical, unsolved murder, in which you take the role of detective, searching the bustling streets of modern-day Manhattan, scour dark alleys and seedy lairs to hunt down a host of dubious suspects, search for clues, unearth the truth, bring justice to the slain. Come live out The Lower East Side Murder Mystery every Saturday night at 6pm all summer long. For more information or to order tickets, visit www.liveintheatre.com or call 212-780-4787. History couldn't catch this fiendish killer, can you? Yes, that's the Lower East Side Murder Mystery. So if any of the listeners out there are in the New York area, please come see the show because I'm in it and it's awesome and I told you to. So if you're in the area and you want to come, let me know. I might be able to hook you up with tickets. But are we here to talk about me? Surprisingly, no. We are here to talk about Friday the 13th because this is the Friday the 13th Spectacular! Now I know what you're thinking. You're like, really? Do we really need to talk about Friday the 13th any more than we've already talked about it? Yes, goddammit! Yes, we do! And here's why. I am a very old queen. And this old queen saw lots of movies in their first run in the theaters. There's something about going to the movies in New York City. Every time you go, it's a visceral experience, one way or the other. Either the crowd's really rowdy, or they're just actively into it, or they're actively hating it. Either way, it's rarely a dull time. So being able to see first-run classic horror movies in this kind of conditions, let's just say there are tales to tell. So we're going to talk about the original Friday the 13th tonight, and... um, See, this has a very special place in my heart. Actually, this whole series does. Series does. I figure I'm going to start with the first one tonight, and each subsequent Friday the 13th that shows up on the calendar, you're going to find about the next one in line, what juicy story there is about that one. So, picture it. Manhattan, 1980. I'm about... Well, you don't need to know how old I am, but I'm too young to be seeing this movie. My mother took me to see it. 
Let me backtrack here. I come from a whole family of scream queens to a degree. I cut my horror teeth at a really early age. My brother, who's much older than me, some of my fondest childhood memories are watching horror movies on TV with him. You know, classic stuff like the Hammer House of Horror stuff, sci-fi monster movies like The Crawling Eye, Island of Terror, and they used to have this thing on, in New York um, on Channel 9 called the 430 Movie, which was great. Every day at 430, there was always some ridiculous exploitation film or genre film, and it would be a whole week of them. It would be like, it's Planet of the Apes week on the 430 movie. It's Edgar Allan Poe week on the 430 movie. It's Giant Animal week on the 430 movie. You get the idea. This is what I cut my teeth on. This is what I came to love. I also loved Agatha Christie's and Murder Mysteries and all that stuff. So I had some other friends that were the same. We all were kind of in the same boat. When Friday the 13th came out, everybody was talking about how scary it was. We all saw the trailers. We all said, we have to see this. And we finagled my mother into taking me and a bunch of kids from the block to see this movie. Do you hear the ominous thunderclap that's about to come? This was a disaster. See, you have to understand, this thing was, this whole genre was completely new to me. I, like I said, I cut my teeth on Hammer. I cut my teeth on Vincent Price. Slasher movies? Holy crap. Not mentally prepared for this in any way, shape, or form. Now, I expect, at least would have expected it to be a whodunit, but there weren't even any clues to figure it out. Miss Thing got out of the Jeep at the end, and I'm like, who the fuck is that? And I remember, it was a pretty empty theater, and we all sat up in the balcony for whatever reason. Probably, to, I, I was going to say to make out, but that we were, we were kids. We were all sitting up in the balcony, and I think there was one other woman in the entire theater who was creepy. And I remember, I remember sitting there for most of the film with my face covered with this, this orange hooded sweatshirt that I owned. Okay, not all of us were born with fashion taste. Fuck you! And I remember when Kevin Bacon got the arrow through the neck. I remember looking up and saying, I don't like this anymore. And I started to cry. And I re looked around and noticed all the other kids were already crying. This was complete sensory overload for us. My mother to this day, to this day says, my God, Patrick, I never should have taken you to that movie. None of you kids were the same after. And that is true. For better or for worse, that was the day I became a true scream queen. So you can blame my mother. It's always the mother's fault anyway. So what came of this whole traumatic event besides years of psychotherapy? A tradition was born. That group of kids always managed to get together every time a new Friday the 13th movie came out. And we all went to see it together. And even the later ones, even as far up as... Freddy vs. Jason, at least a few of us, were able to get back together and see the movie. And it got rough there. You know, we're around 8 and 9. We'd kind of go up to the box office with this look of embarrassment on our face because the, the, the whole series had turned to crap by then. Sorry, kids. I know you later folk who showed up around part 6 and think you know the fucking series. You don't know dick. That's what I gotta say. Something about coming in at the beginning and not knowing where it was going before Jason was even a blip on the map. Ah... Uh experience and wisdom i'm smoking my fingers what the fuck am i doing childhood memories aside the thing that strikes me about this movie in retrospect everyone always talks about that rule that if you if you have sex or take drugs you're not going to survive to the end of the movie and i look at this movie and i say wrong because alice smoked pot in this and so did jamie lee curtis in halloween so your theory severely flawed and my friend Marty and I had this whole thing with the character of Brenda, I believe it is. And I just wanted to yeah, the character of Brenda, played by Lori Bartram. Brenda is my favorite character in this. She's got this, the actress, she just has this intelligence that I find so appealing. And this wit 
that's not really present in the rest of the film. If I saw the movie today, I would say, there's your Survivor Girl, but no, it's Dippy Alice. I'm sorry, Adrian King, you're a lovely woman, but Alice was kind of a dumb-dumb. My friend Marty and I always used to joke that, you know, had Brenda made it to the final reel, Mrs. Voorhees would have been coming at her and she would have been like, hey, Pamela, did you realize that what you're doing is not only immoral, but it's against the law? And Mrs. Voorhees would be like, you know what? You're right. Let's go have crumpets. And he said, what happened in my mind? But anyway, Laurie Bertram didn't come to a good end. First, she wound up joining the evangelical church of Jerry Falwell and then died of pussy cancer. It bothers me how many of my favorite actresses have died of pussy cancer. So girls, get your pussy checked. The other character I love from this film is Officer Dorf, played by Ron Milky. Colombian gold, man, grass, hash, the weed. The thing is, I run into Ron Milky all the time. He runs an acting school here in New York, and uh, I see him at these actor conventions all the time. And I remember the first time I met him, he's talking to all these potential students about Shakespeare and this, that, and the other thing, and his role in this great play and that great play. And I muscled up to him, and I said, we ain't gonna stand for no weirdness out here. And he said, how the hell do you know that? And I said, I know everything, Ron Milky. I'm a scream queen. But did I take classes with him? Fuck no. You know what? You're probably thinking for a Friday the 13th spectacular. This was not particularly spectacular, but you know what? Fuck you. I'm wearing a sequin jockstrap and a machete made of glue sticks. Arriba! Next up, I'm going to do a review of The Final, which is one of the 2010 Eight Films to Die For Horror Fest movie show things. Oh, whatever. Let's just take a listen to the trailer, shall we? Okay. The Han Dynasty, during their rule, would sometimes leave their enemies alive, disfiguring them in a most grotesque manner. I know what hell is. Hell is believing that the suffering you're doing in life somehow has meaning. For too long, I've been associated with cheap laughs. What are you going to do about it, huh? Why are you always so mean to me? I've never done anything to you. We're not being mean. We're being honest. It was a message to all those who would oppose their rule that you would die or carry the scars of your defiance to you think we're going to hell? Yeah. You've suffered enough. The price to be paid for your actions. Don't go. Be our friend. <laughs> By the time they were through with you, death would be a welcome friend. It's gonna be a night they will never forget. I have the hottest costume for the party. I wanted to be your friend. But now I'm going to be your enemy. Bring on the pain. What are you doing to her? This 
Okay, that's the final, starring absolutely no one I've heard of. And to synopsize, if you didn't figure it out, after suffering through years of bullying and brutality, a group of high school misfits turned the tables on their tormentors. And uh, in a nutshell, that's pretty much the entire plot of the movie. To be more specific, these misfits, they devise this elaborate plan, they invite the bullies to a costume party, and the Kool-Aid is definitely spiked. And when the bullies wake up from their roofie nap, they're bound in chains, and the misfits proceed to enact their revenge one by one while promising not to kill them because what they have in mind is far worse. I gotta tell you, initially I had no intention of ever reviewing this film ever because I found it to be hit and miss initially. While I like the idea of it, I found the writing and the acting just to be, well, hit and miss. Neither the misfits or the bullies are developed enough and some of the acting is just atrocious. Um, You know what, I'm going to backtrack. The first half of this movie, I think, is exquisite in its own way. Um, not so much what the bully kids are doing. They're not as interesting. They're very cardboard cutout type of things. The cool kids, all their stuff is just like, you know, jazzed up and everything's hyper and laughing and high energy. And interspersing that these scenes with the misfits and everything is so still and quiet. And they never raise their voices. And they hardly ever show emotion. And it's alarming. And plus, these poor bullied kids, they seem to live in... Oh, actually, all these kids seem to live in this weird kind of Charlie Brown-like universe. What the fuck do you mean by that, Patrick? I'm getting to that. Be patient, goddammit. What I mean is that the adults are present, but they're not at the same time. Um, kind of like the teacher in Charlie Brown. She's there, but all you hear is wah, 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 wah. In this, you see the adults... Sort of, but not really. Never see any faces. There's a teacher who always has his back turned. There's um, one of the father characters. You know, he never comes out from under the car that he's working on, so he just sees legs. And a mom, again, she comes to the door to talk to one of the girls, and you just see her legs. And she kind of reminded me of Nanny from The Muppet Babies. But that's not the point right now. I find this really eerie in its own right. And the way the kids are talking about their plan, again, very calmly, very detached, almost at peace with it. One of the girls even says... Since we've thought of this, I haven't felt afraid. I'm not afraid anymore. And it seems to be building to something really interesting. And then the party starts, and they wake up in their chains, and it all kind of goes downhill from there. A bit, on the surface. One of my problems is the guy that plays the leader of the the nerds, Mark Donato. They made the mistake of, you know, he's wearing um, um, a gas mask, sort of. It's a costume party that they throw for these kids. He's wearing a gas mask over his face and they gave him one of those electronic saw voices and it's unfortunate because the kid is a really good actor with a very expressive face and they covered up both and it just seems contrived and corny and hard to understand unfortunately um which is disappointing because there's a scene earlier in the film where he's sitting alone on his bed with his shirt off and he can hear his parents arguing in another room and he's sitting there with a gun to his head the whole scene and it was so quietly terrifying that when you just have this hyperactive you want to grow a gun kind of bullshit eh, the the payoff wasn't worth the build-up plus when they finally get revenge on these kids and they don't kill them they maim them not anti-maim them they just maim them that would be awful which maim would they be would they be angela lansbury or would they be lucille ball oh my god I'm off topic. Well, when they finally do damage to the kids, almost all of it is derivative of another horror movie scene. Tourist Trap gets tapped into. Wolf Creek saw Audition completely ripped off. 
and I was rather disappointed. Although one of the kids early on says, all these years of watching horror movies, and now we finally get to put it to use. So, okay, they did at least, you know, footnote their paraphrasing, but I was kind of disappointed. And like I said, the acting's not great. The kid, this one kid is supposed to be one of the cool kids, but he's not one of them. He's supposed to be kind of a hero, but he's so unenthusiastic with all of his dialogue, he manages to suck the energy out of all the climactic scenes. And there's nothing worse than sucking out a climax. Wait a minute. No, that's not so bad. But he's involved in this whole pointless subplot with this hillbilly dude who's the only adult whose face you see. And it really goes nowhere, and it adds nothing, and it's really just annoying more than anything else. So when I finished this movie the first time, I said, meh, that wasn't so great. But then time passed, and the movie wouldn't get out of my head. And I started to realize how much I was involved in this movie mentally, well, you know, at a deeper level than I wanted to admit. You see, it may surprise you, but when Scream Queen Patrick was a child... He was bullied. And it's not exactly for what you think. It wasn't just for being the gay kid. This, I transferred schools in the sixth grade to this super snotty rich school that was near a military base. So they always had these rotating groups of kids coming through. So if you were new, you were meat. So my entire sixth grade year was horrific. I would come home with strangle marks on my neck. I came home with eight broken fingers. The faculty did nothing. My parents thought I must have been doing something to, to bring this upon myself. And I remember when my dad would be driving me to school, some mornings I'd sit there think, thinking, today's the day they're going to kill me. And then as the semester went on, I started thinking, I hope they will. So I started to realize I went into this movie rooting for these kids. I wanted to see them fuck up these bullies more than I ever wanted to admit. And I thought about it. I thought about those bullies who tormented me. All those years ago, I've murdered them thousands of times in my mind. Tommy Maluli, Trey Wareham, good Lord, if you know how many times and how many ways you've been killed, how many ways I've killed you, you wouldn't be sleeping well. I remember when Columbine first happened, everyone was so shocked. They're like, oh my God, how could such a thing like this happen? I remember thinking, why hasn't this happened before? Because school is hell. And like I said, I planted out all manners of knocking off these spoiled rich Brats. And you know, it's really lucky that I never developed telekinesis because I would have gone carry white on their ass. And I would have looked better in the dress. Shh, not the point right now. So while watching the final, I found myself not only just siding with the misfits, but secretly wishing I could have pulled something like this off. And that realization had scared me. And then when I started looking at it, there was a lot to like about the final that I glossed over the first time. There's a performance from this girl named Lindsay Seidel who plays this misfit named Emily, and she's very sweet and soft-spoken little thing and pigtails and delicate, and she gives one of the most chilling performances in the film um, because she is so sweet and delicate and soft-spoken, but is able to pull off this wonderful sense of menace, too. When, at some point, Emily is ordering one of these bully girls to cut the fingers off of her dumb jock boyfriend or else have her own fingers cut off. And the bully girl's all crying and blubbering, I can't do it! I can't hurt anyone! And Emily just gives her this sweet little smile and says, sure you can. You hurt me without even batting an eye. Goosebumps. I also thought it was a great touch that, that plenty of kids at the party who were not necessarily one of the bullies were also chained up because they had stood idly by and did nothing as these other kids were tortured all these years. And now they're forced to sit chained up and help us to do anything but watch as continue to watch as retribution is dealt out. And as I said, the, the adults aren't really represented in this at all, but there's a scene early on in the film where one of the misfit boys 
is saying goodbye to his father before he goes off to this party that he knows he's not coming home from. And he's explaining that he left a letter and that he knows that, you know, you're going to be mad, mom and dad, but I hope maybe you'll understand someday. And the father never acknowledges him at all. He just keeps tinkering and tinkering and tinkering. And the silence is just heartbreaking because that's one of the other things that's unnerving about the film is that these misfits have no intention of surviving the night. And for them, that's part of the reward. And I totally get that. The other thing that disturbed me was at the school, like I said, if you were a new kid, you got tortured. But I stayed for another two years. So by the end of my, the eighth grade, I was as bad as they were. You know, I can justify it and say that it was a survival technique, but I did horrible things to some kids. And I thought about all this. There must be kids out there who are thinking the same thing about me, visualizing this death for me as well. And the whole thing was very full circle and very deep and very meaningful. And I... I don't exactly recommend the movie, but I think it's worth a watch. You know, decide for yourself. Decide for yourself what it means to you. But I suggest beforehand that you check out some of the news stories online of the death of a girl named Phoebe Price, who was a 15-year-old girl in Massachusetts who was driven to suicide by these relentlessly cruel school bullies. And, you know, even after her death, they were writing horrible things about her on her Facebook memorial page. Well, maybe the final has more to say than meets the eye. Give it a whirl. What the fuck? If you don't like it, well, my instinctive answer is to say, fuck you, but you know what? I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, talk to me. Let me know what you thought. I want to have a discussion. I can't help it. Fuck you! Okay, before we head out, we have a little bit of listener feedback to attend to. First of all, we got an email from Headshot Heather, and it says, Dear Brother D and Miss Brent. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It says, Hey, Patrick. Loving the show. You are entertaining as always. Thank you, Heather. You know I'm not a big caller, but I just wanted to let you know that I am listening and loving what I've heard so far. Aw. Hi, Mr. Brad. Hi, Mr. Brad. He's right behind me. Heather says hi. Hi. Brad said hi. Um, so here's the secret not many know about me. This is Heather talking, not me. This is a secret not many know about me. I used to, and kind of still do, have a crush on Steve Gutenberg. Ew. Ew! Okay, not judging, not judging, not judging. Although I think he needs to go to the... Wait, I think... Let me go back. I, kind, I used to, and kind of still do, have a crush on Steve Gutenberg. bless your heart. Although I think he needs to go the route of Howie Mandel and just shave the head. There, I said it, and now everyone who listens will know my dirty little secret. Smiley face. All right, keep up the great show, and I'll keep listening. Headshot Heather. P.S. I'm a scream queen, but unlike some, I do know how to reload a machete. Right on, girl. Thank you so much for the email, Heather. That was fantastic. I just, I, Steve Gutenberg and Howie Mandel in the same sentence just made my sloppy Joe come back up in my throat. Isn't that right, sloppy Joe? Never mind. Also, we got a voicemail, and I will be making this very smooth transition that will be edited out later to the voicemail. A voicemail from Tyler, Texas. I'm assuming it's the place and not a person. Ah ha 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 ha. Let's listen. Patrick, this is Paul in Texas again. It's been like seven hours since I left you my last message, and I was hoping to come to my computer and find another episode of Scream Queens. But alas, you disappointed me. Mother's been in her room all afternoon, and I keep hoping she'll come out. I 
spoke to her through the door and told her that I may have found some new friends who like horror as much as I do. She hasn't answered. I hope she's okay. Anyway, please, another episode. Thank you. Oh, Paul, I give you all. Oh, Paul, I missed your call. I'm sorry, Paul. I, I just, I thank you for the call. I, I didn't know there was a first one. I just went back and checked the call log. I do see that you did, in fact, call seven hours before this particular voicemail, but you didn't leave a message. Or if you did, somebody interfered. Fucking gremlins. But, yeah, well, you've got two episodes since then now, so hopefully you're happy. I hope your mom's doing okay. I'm sure she's fine. Moms are resilient that way, you know. I've often said that after the bombs drop, there's going to be nothing left walking the planet except the cockroaches and my mother. So I'm sure that's fine. Perhaps your mother and my mother can get together and do aqua aerobics. Just a thought. Okay, that's just about all the time we have for today. I hope you've had a great time at the Spectacular. And um, next week we're going to be looking at, well, I got a brand new, brand new movie for the crapshoot. Let's hope I have better luck than I had last time. Uh, aside from that, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. If you have an idea of what the fuck I should do, let me know. Drop me an email at crew at screamqueens.com. That's queens with a Z. Or give me a call at 347-767-3509. Like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter at screamqueens. If you don't know by now, it's with a Z. Are you tired of that yet? Because I'm not. All right, good night, everybody. And remember, as my granny always used to say, when the going get tough, the tough get bitching. Bye!